Hi everyone, we're back! Hello! Yes we are, and we're back because it's almost that spooky time of the year. That they celebrate in the Northern Hemisphere. Yes. <laughs> Halloween. Halloween. All Hallows Eve, Samhain, but we celebrate down here, Beltane. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> I'll celebrate whatever, really. <laughs> It's as long as it's coffee and beer. Um, yeah, you give me coffee, you give me beer, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> He's a happy little Benjamin. Easily yeah. pleased. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so shall we move on with our What the Halloween for 2021? We shall. We <laughs> shall. And because it is What the Halloween, these stories are the ones we specifically keep for the more spookier time for the Northern Hemisphere. I get it. I know. Yeah. We're in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, but, you know. But Halloween sick. is celebrated pretty much everywhere. Yeah. And, and frankly. It's not really by me. <laughs> look, as long as people are having fun and aren't hurting anybody else, especially over these past couple of years, have fun however you like. That's I mean, right. That's, that's exactly right. We've had a rough couple of years, haven't yeah. we, everyone? Indeed. We have. But so, Yeah. Go and have fun. Indeed. And so, yeah, these are the more sadder slash spookier ones. Mm -hmm. More of which on the other side of our opening theme. What the? History. 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 Hello and welcome to What the History. Hey, everyone. Hello. <laughs> this time doing our special What the Halloween episode for 2021. That's right. I am Trevor Holland and I'm joined by Susie Holland. <laughs> and uh, I'll just do a quick upfront. Um, there is some content warning with this particular episode, as often is with a Halloween episode. Yeah. So uh, there's talk of domestic violence and murder. Um, From his. Yeah. So what I'll do though is I'll put timestamps in the description. Mm. So that if you want to skip over that bit, it's going to be easy for you. Okay. Good deal. Exactly right. Exactly right. We, we here at What the History are responsible. Indeed. Indeed. Okay. Well, Susie, shall we get rolling with your, oh, well, yeah. What the Halloween and a bit. Oh, <laughs> What the Halloween and a bit. Remember, remember the 5th of November begins an old English rhyme. But how many of us know why we should remember this particular date? What happened to commemorate this day? And why do people in the United Kingdom and in some other Commonwealth countries, but not Australia, still celebrate it. For the answers, I need to take you back 418 years to England. When Protestant Queen Elizabeth I died on the 24th of March, 1603, her Catholic subjects, who had for many years been persecuted for their faith, needed to practice in secret, hoped that the next monarch would be more tolerant to their beliefs and they would come out of hiding. To put this into context, a Catholic could be fined heavily, imprisoned or executed if they were caught practising their religion. Enter James VI of Scotland, son of Mary Queen of Scots, who after Elizabeth's death and many arguments later over the succession, also became King James I of England. James succeeded the Scottish throne at the tender age of one after the abdication of Mary in 1567. Catholic Mary never saw her son again, and he was raised and educated as a Protestant, much to Mary's disgust. 
The Catholics were hoping to install a Catholic monarch, the Infanta Isabella, daughter of Philip II of Spain. However, Robert Cecil, Elizabeth's Secretary of State, had been holding talks with James about ascending the throne. A source mentions that a gentleman by the name of Everard Digby, a Catholic, had travelled to Scotland to visit with James several times before his accession to the English throne to obtain a promise of Catholic religious tolerance, which was given. Everard's name would soon be a part of history. So when James came to the throne, Catholics had very high hopes about their future, armed with James's promise. However, nothing changed and the promise was unfulfilled, with the law still being set firmly against Catholics. A group of very angry Catholic men decided something needed to be done permanently with this new Protestant king, and for good measure his wife Queen Anne and sons Henry and Charles, and so began the famous gunpowder plot of 1605. But firstly, I need to backtrack to York in 1570. Enter Guy Fawkes to the story. Guy was raised a Protestant. However, when his father died, his mother remarried and young Guy fell under the religious teachings of his stepfather, a Catholic. However, when I was in York in 2018, I did a tour and our guide said that Guy became a Catholic due to the treatment of Catholics by the Protestants and was so disgusted that he became a Catholic. Whichever way Guy became a Catholic, he joined the Catholic Spanish army in 1592 who were fighting the Protestant Dutch army. By 1603, Guy had been promoted to captain and was well learned in the art of gunpowder. In 1604, a discontented Guy met Thomas Winter, a fellow disgruntled English Catholic, while on campaign in Flanders. Thomas was also there to drum up Catholic support from the Spanish government. Thomas had also been told about an idea of regicide against King James by Robert Catesby, a man who had gone down in history as the creator of the gunpowder plot. Robert had also been in Spain to obtain Catholic support from the government in 1602 and was even imprisoned upon the death of Queen Elizabeth as a just-in-case measure after a failed rebellion in 1601 by the Earl of Essex against Robert Cecil. Guy didn't need much convincing about this plan, thought it was a good idea, and his fate was sealed. For 18 months, the men plotted and planned their idea with fellow conspirators. Thomas Winter's older brother Robert, Thomas Percy, one of King James's bodyguards, brothers John and Christopher Wright, whose sister Martha was married to Thomas Percy and who were also jailed with Robert Catesby upon the death of Queen Elizabeth and also involved in the 1601 rebellion. Mm. Francis Tresham, who was a cousin of Robert Catesby, who also involved in the failed 1601 rebellion, Robert Keyes, who looked after the gunpowder at Thomas Percy's house, John Grant, who was married to Dorothy, the sister of the Winter Brothers, Thomas Bates, Robert Catesby's loyal servant, and Ambrose Rookwood, who was deemed useful in the plot as he had horses and wealth. These 13 men, all devout Catholics with regicide on their minds, decided that the 5th of November would be the perfect date. Not only was the king going to open Parliament with his family, the nobles and the houses of lords and commons all present, the conspirators could get rid of them all in one go and install King James's daughter, the nine-year-old Princess Elizabeth, as a puppet queen upon the throne, with them acting as protectors, marrying her into a suitable Catholic family after they had kidnapped her. The plans began to swing into action to store gunpowder under the House of Lords in order to blow it up on the 5th of November to coincide with the opening of Parliament. It was an opportunity too perfect to miss. 
Thomas Percy used his wealth to rent a house in Westminster next to the House of Lords and then in 1605 rented the cellar space under the House of Lords. Gunpowder was being stored at this property for the fateful act. When and where was all set? How about, what about the how? Re-enter Guy Fawkes with his knowledge of gunpowder and he was tasked with lighting the gunpowder at the opportune time. He assumed the name of John Johnson, servant of Thomas Percy, and with Robert Winter helped to, to keep the gunpowder under the Houses of Lords, all 36 barrels. <laughs> with Thomas Percy's house being next door to the House of Lords, it was easy to roll the barrel from this house to next door and hide them all ready to go. All seemed to be in place until the 26th of October when a letter was sent to the Catholic Lord Monteagle by an anonymous source by his servant, Thomas Ward. A source says Francis Tresham, who attempted to stop the plot, was reluctantly involved and he was a brother-in-law or cousin of Lord Monteagle. He asked him not to attend Parliament on the 5th of November, saying in part, and I quote, Therefore I would advise you, as you tender your life, to devise some excuse to shift your attendance at this Parliament. For God and man hath concurred to punish the wickedness of this time end quote, and asking Lord Monteagle to burn the letter immediately upon reading it. The letter was instead passed to Robert Cecil and the King. Ooh. Francis was questioned about this letter on November the 1st, but denied being the sender. The men were faced with a dilemma, abandon the plan or to keep going, and they opted to keep the plan. King James ordered a search of the basement and Sir Thomas Nibbett a Justice of the Peace found Guy in the basement with the barrels of gunpowder at around midnight on the 4th slash 5th of November. He was quickly taken into custody but refused to answer the questioning, an act that amused King James for Guy's bravado. Guy gave his name as John Johnson, servant to Thomas Percy. The conspirators, knowing something had gone wrong, escaped to the Midlands. Guy, under torture, had plenty to say, named all his co-conspirators, and the apprehension of all was proclaimed by the government. Robert Catesby attempted to gather Catholic support, stole horses from Warwick Castle, and were able to obtain 50 Catholics to the cause. However, this soon failed as well. On the 8th of November, the government had caught up with the conspirators at Hull Beach House near Kingswoodford in Staffordshire, with Robert Catesby, Thomas Percy, John and Christopher Wright, all being killed in the shootout. John Grant was blinded by gunpowder and taken back to London for trial. Ambrose Rookwood and Thomas Winter were captured and transported to London for trial. Sir Everard Digby, Thomas Bates, Robert Keyes and Francis Tresham were soon located and arrested. All surviving conspirators were found guilty and sentenced to a traitor's execution of being hung, drawn and quartered. The executions took place on the 30th and 31st of January 1606 in the Old Palace Yard, Westminster. Guy watched in horror as his friends were executed and as the rope was being tied around his neck, he made a running leap, breaking his neck. The heads were placed on pikes around Westminster as a stark warning to other people with regicide on their minds. The only surviving conspirator who didn't meet the executioner was Francis Tresham, dying in the Tower of London on the 23rd of December 1605 of natural causes. A number of Catholic priests were also being implicated in the plot, with one, Henry Garnet, also being found guilty and executed on March 28th. 
On the 21st of January 1606, Parliament resumed and King James, overjoyed that the plot was found out, asked his men to build a huge bonfire in celebration, enacted the Thanksgiving Act, and every year on the 5th of November, bonfires and effigies of Guy are burnt with children asking for a penny for the Guy as a celebration of how King James and his family cheated death. The night is now called Guy Fawkes Night. The gunpowder plot was an added disaster for English Catholics, giving the label of traitor to all Catholics, and it was thought that only through the grace of the Protestant God that the royal family was spared from the plot, instead of by the letter to Lord Monteagle and the House of Lords Cellar being searched as a result. 1606 saw new laws being passed against Catholics, an oath that went against the Pope and disallowed Catholics to vote. Failure to take the oath could result in death. Many Catholic families simply retreated into the shadows, not wanting to give anyone an excuse to trouble them. To this day, Houses of Parliament are still searched prior to the opening of Parliament by the Yemen of the Guard, and in case anyone else has the idea to commit the act. I will leave you now with the full rhyme about the 5th of November. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes Guy, t'was his intent to blow up king and parliament. Three score barrels were laid below to prove old England's overthrow. By God's mercy he was catched with a darkened lantern and burning match. So holler boys, holler boys, let the bells ring. Holler boys, holler boys, God save the king. And what shall we do with him? Burn him. That was really important to me to get it out. Um, yep. I am not Catholic, nor am I Protestant. I don't have any beliefs in that way, but it it did make me feel really, really sad. Yes, perfectly understandable. Yeah. Yeah. So, yes, we... Thank you for staying with me on that one. <laughs> All those names and, and connections like, and cross-sections. Oh. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fine. Now, where's... Hang on, I lost my old page. Where's your thing? Where's my page? <laughs> Where is it? There it is. First up, I'm going to apologise. I know that the first couple of times we did this, I did some pretty horrific murder stories and then made an effort to step away from major gruesomeness and I know that still had mixed results. Hello, Ghostwatch. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, this time around the tale does involve a bit more murder. But it's got a bit of a, well, a, a very big what the Halloween twist. Hmm. Uh, now, as I mentioned at the start, I am going to put a content warning on this one uh, due to murder and mention of domestic violence. I'm going to try to keep it as brief as I can. Uh, but again, check out the timestamps down below. I'll give you another warning before I get to that bit so that you can easily skip past it if you need to. Okay? Excellent. Here we go with the strange tale of the Greenbrier Ghost. In the month of October 1896, in the county of Greenbrier, West Virginia, USA, 23-year-old Alva Zona Hester, sometimes referred to as Zona Hester's shoe, met the new employee at the local blacksmith, 37-year-old Edward Trout Shoe. Alva was considered pretty attractive and Edward has been described as a handsome, black-haired, blue-eyed charmer. 
things moved quickly from there, very, very quickly. Mm. Alva and Edward were married just six weeks later, despite the disapproval of Edward by Alva's mother, Mary Jane Heaster. All seemed fine and life went on, at least until January 1897. Edward sent a local boy, Andy Jones, to his home to run an errand and see if Alva needed anything. Upon his arrival at the Shear residence, Andy made a horrifying discovery. Alva was lying dead at the base of the stairs, face down, one arm stretched out, the other tucked beneath her. The destroyed boy ran to his mother, who passed the terrible news to Edward, before rushing to find the local doctor. When Dr Knapp arrives on the scene, he found that not only had Edward got there before him, the apparently distraught man had also cleaned up Elva's body and dressed her in her high-necked wedding dress and veil. Ooh. The doctor tried to examine the body, but was hampered by Edward, who was cradling, cradling her neck, crying and responding violently any time Dr Knapp got too close to him. The doctor completed the examination as best he could, finally declaring the cause of death as, quote, everlasting faint, end quote. Hmm. He later added possible, quote again, complications from pregnancy, end quote, after admitting he had been treating Alva for, quote, female trouble, end quote. Great job, Doctor. Hmm. Alva's funeral was held soon after, with Edward making quite the impression on the mourners, and not an entirely positive one. He was reported as acting very obsessively towards Alva, particularly regarding her head and neck. He wrapped her neck in a scarf that he insisted was her favourite before placing a startling number of pillows around her head and neck. When asked about this, he insisted he wanted her to rest comfortably. Even though those present found his actions very strange, they largely put it down to his grief. There was one person, however, who suspected something more. Alva's mother. Despite having no evidence, Mary strongly believed that Edward had something more to do with Alva's death. Not knowing what else to do, she prayed for an answer. Every night. For weeks. Then, according to Mary... One month after the funeral, Alva's ghost appeared before her, four nights in a row, and told her what happened on that fateful day back in January. Okay, now this is where you might want to use the timestamps in the description, okay, uh, if you want to skip over this next bit. So let me give you a moment. Here goes. Mary claimed Alva told her that Edward had been an abusive husband, getting more and more violent. The night before her body was discovered, he had come home and was furious as he believed, quote, she didn't have no meat cooked for supper, end quote. After the confrontation, Edward proceeded to strangle Alva, snapping her neck in his fury. Mary took her tale to the local prosecutor, John Preston, who was initially very sceptical. However, given the very limited examination of the body and Edward's subsequent, subsequent behaviour, he eventually agreed to look into it further. He did not have to look far. Preston found that Edward had quite the history of violence, including prison time for theft and assaults, as well as two prior marriages, one of which ended with his wife dying under mysterious circumstances. There were also reports from the local community that Edward was saying things like, quote, no one would ever prove I killed a zoner, 
end quote. Preston sought and was given permission to exhume Alva's body for a more thorough examination. The examination occurred on 22nd of February, 1897. The three doctors undertaking the autopsy found bruising consistent with strangling on Elva's neck and confirmed the first and second vertebrae in her neck were broken and that her windpipe had been crushed. Edward was arrested on suspicion of murder. At the trial, Preston tried to avoid Mary's tale of Elva's ghostly visits, fearing it would be dismissed at best as hearsay or at worst severely impact the credibility of his case. Edward's lawyer, however, decided it would be their best hope and proceeded to cross-examine Mary extensively about her supernatural experience. The full exchange, and it is quite a full exchange, is quoted in a couple of the attached references. But to summarise, Mary gave a very full account of the information provided by her recently deceased daughter, up to and including a detailed description of her injuries and murder. It is reported she was much more compelling than Edward, who apparently did not leave a good impression on the jury on the jury with his own testimony. The jury deliberated for just over an hour before declaring Edward guilty of murder in the first degree. Edward was sentenced to life imprisonment and died from illness while in jail just three years later. While there is no record of the jury's discussion, it is generally considered the trial of Edward Trout Shoe is the only time a ghost's testimony was officially considered by the US justice system, system and that it also contributed to a guilty verdict. What the Halloween? Mm. Indeed. That's pretty cool. That's just. I'm really, really glad that yeah. he got that uh, Elvis ghost visited. So, yeah. Yeah. Yay. There we go. Yay. Thank you for joining us for What the Halloween. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everyone. By the way, we got references. We do. We got all the references. Always we do all the references. And we're pretty good at referencing and we are. researching. Yeah, indeed. So you can check the podcast description for all yeah. our references, or you can head to the Rufus Project Presents homepage at rufusproject.com mm -hmm. for all our previous episodes and all our previous references and all the things. All, and all the, the fun stuff. All the Rufus Project things as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Pretty cool. Or please, if you really do like this, join our Patreon, the Rufus Project Presents Patreon. At patreon.com slash Rufus Project. Uh, Please do. Come and join. It's it's been, it is fun. It is good. It's a whole pile of extra content. Oh, yeah. You get to see live recordings of our recordings. Yeah, that yeah, works. Yeah, what, um, yeah, that'll do. <laughs> get early access to the final, uh, the final nice edited podcasts um, and a whole pile of extra video content. Alrighty. Yeah, so we shall return. We shall. We shall with some more bizarre bits of history. <laughs> uh, to make you say. What the history. What the history. <laughs> we always said that together. That's fine. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, yeah, well, you didn't. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, that sort of day. Bye. Bye. Thank you.